Because Money was originally recorded as a video podcast, so there may be visuals that don't carry through to this audio-only version. Please visit becausemoney.ca to see the show notes, related links, and more. Hey, hey, it looks like we are live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Because Money podcast, episode 9. I'm Jackson Middleton, one of your hosts this evening. Um, unfortunately, we don't have a guest tonight, and that's by design because we wanted to, to basically hog the microphones and talk about the Canadian economy. So uh, with me is Rob Engen from Boomer and & Echo and Sandy Martin. Uh, from Spring Personal Finance. They are both uh, fee-only, fee-for-service, advice-only financial planners, however you want to call it. I certainly am not, but I am on a 52-week money challenge and hope to be in a couple of years uh, in the place that they're at. So um, thanks for joining us. If you want to talk about uh, what we're talking about, join the conversation on Twitter using the hashtag BecauseMoney, or I just, for the first time in my life, enabled a Q&A app on Google+. Not sure what it does. If you poke a button and you, you know, hit something there and ask a question, I might moderate it, I might not, but I will be social moderating, and Rob will be uh, guiding us through the news from uh, Globe and Mail and a whole bunch of other things. So, Rob, take it away. Thanks, Jackson. Yeah, I, I read an article in the Globe and Mail today. Uh, I guess the Bank of Canada released its uh, its forecast of the year, and you know th- uh, they've been well when Mark. Har- Uh-oh. You know, he kept warning the Canadian uh, that got to scale back on your debt. Our debt levels were hitting record highs, and uh, and the big threat, I guess, was uh, that interest rates were eventually going to rise. That's what the threat was, and um, we're starting to get some news now that uh, interest rates are probably not going anywhere because the economy kind of stinks, and um, so the the economists or i guess the consensus from economists was that you know the interest rates aren't aren't probably aren't going to move up i guess the i guess prime rate anyways uh, for the banks won't move until you know late 2015 some maybe 2016 and what they're concerned about is inflation the inflation rate is not going up uh, i think he referred to it or the, the bank of canada governor he referred to it as the target effect uh, referring to the big retailer uh, target that moved into Canada and has created all kinds of competition. Um, uh, Sobeys, who has recently uh, purchased uh, Safeway, and then uh, Superstore, or Loblaws, which has purchased uh, Shoppers Drug Mart. So every, all the Canadian retailers are gearing up for this big war, and, and what they expect is that price, it's a price war and that prices will go, uh, will go down. And so... What's interesting is they're saying that in inflation is low and they're concerned about it. And uh, I guess like, we don't want to talk about the macro trends here, the big economic outlooks. We want to talk about what, what that means for consumers. And I thought I'd throw it over to Sandy here and talk about, you know, uh, of, you know, you think about your household bills and, and, and especially with the, you know, this target effect in the big retailers, um, you know, are, are, is that going to trickle down to the consumer? Are we, are we going to see, you know these price wars, and are we going to be able to, you know, save money on our grocery bills, or how does this inflation, this low inflation, look on our regular household bills? Do you know what's funny? I don't think that um, regular consumers see inflation even on a year-to-year basis. Because uh, I mean, uh, sorry, let me back up one. Obviously, I can speak best from my own point of view, which is I have three small children that are growing. I don't have a problem with disinflation. <laughs> my prices are not going down <laughs> until I can train my kids to, I don't know, go out and get a job and get their own food. So 
from and I think there are other factors not just kids growing but I think your lifestyle changes so many people don't track their grocery spending down to the penny every year anyway I don't think people are really going to to see it as in to notice it um, and my perspective on inflation is that it happens in some areas obviously more than it does in other areas so yes, maybe we'll see kind of cheaper prices for temporarily or in certain regions for some grocery items, um, especially the prepackaged stuff and you know the stuff that you can kind of decrease the price on a little easier. Um, but I don't think that people are really going to be going to the grocery store and coming out like six weeks from now and looking at their bill and buying the same basket of goods and saying, "Wow, that cost me a lot less. I'm going to start spending my money elsewhere in the economy." I just don't. Right. I don't see it happening. You know, and I kind of look at it, um, you know, they're there to make money, obviously, and to make money for their shareholders, too. So not only the grocery stores, but the, you know, you look at your, you know, telecommunications bills, like your internet and your phone and your cable, and, and you look at the, you know, the banks raising fees and, and that sort of thing. And and uh, so all that is still happening, you know, and, uh, you know, prices are still going up. And, and I know this because I, I own stock or shares in a lot of these companies. And I know I, I can bank on when I can see a, an increase in my TELUS bill when I get a uh, announcement that there's a dividend increase as well. So I see the corresponding uh, increase there. So it's very smart on their part. And, uh, uh, you know, but but consumers aren't aren't going to aren't going to see these savings. It's savings that's going to trickle down to either the shareholders or to the bottom line of these companies, isn't that? Is that more accurate way to describe it? Yeah, I mean, I, we're obviously we're not in a period where where prices are going down. They're just going up, maybe more slowly. I think so. You have these big sort of gravitational pulls of something like a Sobeys deal or a Shoppers Drug Mart deal or something. Where, um, I mean, so retail. I mean, obviously, retail groceries. That's something we all experience every day. So that's a place where we would notice it. But there's other areas where we're not we're not noticing that sort of kind of mass price war to the bottom because it's just not happening in those industries. But we're still buying things. There's no price war to the bottom in gas. No, it's not happening. So. I can't, so I can't remember the original question. <laughs> well, and it was interesting. The um, the CEO of Sobeys said, you know, in a in a letter to suppliers to say we're going to take, you know, we just bought Safeway. We increased our, you know, the number of stores across the country by you know almost double, the, I guess, the number of stores they have. And he said to suppliers, look, we're going to take advantage of this new scale. He called it, and we, you know, we ex we don't we're not going to accept any price increase. From uh, you know, from suppliers, and in fact, we want you to roll back one percent. So, you know, I, I don't, I don't, ex you know, that's pretty aggressive for them to say that, and I, I, but I still don't expect them to be passing that back along to the to the consumer. And he had an interesting quote that you brought up um, in an email earlier today that uh, you know, consumers. Yeah, do you want me to? Yeah, do you want me to read that one? Read that. Yeah, because I've got it ready because that's exactly what I wanted to talk about as well. Uh, the quote from the CEO of Sobe says, Consumers are not paying attention to regular prices. We've trained them so much to look for specials and promotions that they've lost track of what is good pricing. It's the overhang of the promotional drug that we've been feeding them for so long. It's getting to a point that as an industry, we've done it to ourselves. 
Yeah, and I mean, like, we, we shop that way, too. I mean, we look at, uh, you know, if we shop at a Safeway, we're only we're only going on, you know, their 15% off customer appreciation day or whatever and braving the long lines. And, and uh, you know, I know when stuff goes on sale and that's, when, and that's when I buy it. And I kind of, you know, I kind of think, well, when is that? Reg- uh, who buys things at the regular price and who doesn't have a Safeway club card or a Sobeys card or whatever to get the discount? Sandy's raising her hand. Yeah, I've always been that guy too. I just, I've never cared. Yeah, I'll look, I've got a good understanding of what the prices of things should be. But yeah, I'm going to be honest. There was a sale on beans, a can of beans, regular two forty nine. I think that's ridiculous. But they were on for a buck. So I bought five cans and then came home and then said to my wife, we should buy more beans. So we actually went back, loaded the kids up, and we bought 60 cans of beans. I have never done that before. But, yeah, I mean, I'm starting to look for the sale. I, I actually do shop at Sobeys. I find that uh, although Sobeys is a little bit more expensive, I find the quality of food is just better. I don't define the, you know, the best food out there as the cheapest. I don't want cheap food. I want good food, and I like Sobeys for that reason. But it's some of their stuff is just outrageously priced. Like you're, I mean, regular price. The difference between Kicking Horse Coffee at seventeen ninety nine versus London Drugs on special for ten ninety nine, seven bucks more for coffee. I'll buy three of those. That's twenty one bucks for the same exact coffee. Just going to a place that's closer to my house. Yeah, I think you, you know, I think that stores have. Uh, trained us in a way to become these, you know, sale shoppers. And uh, the problem is, is we just really don't do it because we're lazy. Well, I would say the general public, me included for the last 34 years, has been extremely lazy. And just we don't shop like that because, eh, whatever. Well, but also, of course, I mean, a, a, a grocery shopping, or sorry, a grocery store sale is... Of course, an incentive. The the grocery store is incentivizing you with the whole. I mean, obviously the the staples are on the perimeter, so you have to go through the store. We all know those. Those are kind of they feel like urban legends now. That if you only want some milk, you have to walk through the frozen food section. But it, I mean, it's very easy to feel like you're making a difference in your food budget if you're not somebody that plans to to go in and I'm only going to buy the stuff that's on sale. Well, that's not really going to get you very far if you get home and all you have is sixty cans of beans. You're going to be further ahead. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that you didn't that you did it this way, but if all you do is go to the grocery store and buy things that are on sale, but you're not thinking about how they're going to go together and actually like create meals, then then you've played the game and the grocery store won. And that's fair. But this afternoon for lunch, we had beans and pasta sauce and turkey meatballs. That's right, baby. We used the beans, and we're actually using them, which is. Uh, it's kind of bonkers, but it's good protein. But uh, Noel's joining us. Good to have you here. Hi, I like Noel. you on the I like you on the Twitter. He says life can be cheaper if you look for the savings. Your current providers aren't just going to cut your bill because money. And then Scott Ends says uh, in response to my question. Uh, uh, currently talking about the but no no from your point of view is regular life in Canada getting cheaper or more expensive? Scott says definitely feels like we're often being nickel and dimed to death, more expensive all around. I'd agree with him. I mean I see this and Sobeys is not accepting any price increases and I just say yeah as if we'll actually see that on our bottom line. They're not going to pass that on. That's just the way their company's going to make more money. Well good for them, but certainly 
don't pretend it's for my best interest. Yeah, and like kind of going back to the buying sixty cans of beans. I, um, you know, when when we were, you know, when we were just starting out and struggling, and and you know, you don't have you have you have a budget, and really that's what you had to spend on food. And so I could see a sale, and and I'd buy two cans of beans because that's all I could afford. <laughs> I couldn't. I didn't have. I may have had the foresight to say, hey, I, this is a really good deal and I could take advantage of this for the next three months, but I don't have the money to to buy that, right? And so now we're in the position where we, not only is it a money thing, but it's also like a storage thing too. Like, is it something you could freeze and it's you can still use it? Or do you have a pantry that you could actually, you know, store your 60 cans in? And so now we're kind of in that place where, you know, if we see something that we know we eat on a regular basis, it's not going to go bad. And that kind of goes to the, you know, the whole Costco trips and that sort of thing is, is yeah, we'll buy it because we know there's big time savings on the price per unit and we're going to, we're going to eat that and we're going to enjoy it. So then you can, then you can save and you might go a little overboard on your grocery budget one month because you bought more, but you're not going to have those expenses in the next month. And so I guess it makes sense then. See, and you know, my experience has been a little bit different from that. So I, when I first started, so maybe, oh, I'd say four years ago now is how long I've been kind of very carefully planning my grocery shopping and my grocery budget. And it was, and you know, you first find like, oh yeah, I'm going to get sales, I'm going to buy this in advance, this is a much better price than I'm, nor I didn't even know what the price for toilet paper used to be, do you know what I mean? You just buy it, you don't even pay attention. So when I started paying attention and then you see a sale and you stock up, that's the mindset that I had. Well, then I won't spend as much next month because I'll have saved on this and it will automatically, you know, I, it'll decrease my bill for next month. And I have found that it continues to roll over because there's going to be a deal next month that I should stock up on. And then, well, I'm going to be running out of laundry detergent, so I better stock up on laundry detergent for the next year. And yeah. The payoff's going to come eventually, the... Sandy. It's been four years. The payoff will come. <laughs> it's coming. I stopped doing it. I'm done now. No, I plan <laughs> I plan my meals, but I don't. Um, like, so this this always comes, this is the joke that my husband and I have. You can't afford to not buy it. So it's if it's just because it's a great price or if the I mean we've become comparison shoppers we look at the unit price but there are some things that just because the unit price is a lot cheaper than it would be if you bought the smaller size of it we're only we only need or want the smaller size so I'm happy to pay a slightly higher unit price for for something that I'm going to consume rather than the well, rice isn't a good example because we're going to use it. But rather than, let's say if I've never, you know, if I'm not going to eat that many beans and they're just going to kind of languish in my pantry, there's no point in me buying, paying yeah. a lower unit price to have a waste. Yeah, I'll do that with something like olive oil, which I hate buying, but there's a huge bottle that's like $20, but it's ridiculous savings per on the price per unit. But I only need a little bit or I'll only need half the size, right? So yeah. I end up paying more for the for half the size because I don't want to buy that big one. Or I don't Noelle, want to fork out the big money for it. Yeah. Noel jumps in and says, our family shops uh, sales almost exclusively. No frills, price matches to other stores. We use that to assemble balanced meals. Beans are a balanced meal. Sure. And I got them for a dollar. <laughs> I'm new at this. Don't, don't steal my thunder here, people. This is fun. I got 60 cans of beans for $60. It was wild. But yes. <laughs> So circling back to the uh, Bank of uh, Canada's statement, you know, and they, they did talk about this target effect in the grocery stores and that sort of thing, but they really only, like, they're concerned about low inflation, and they said really the, the grocery side of things is only going to account for, like, 
you know, three-tenths of a percentage of inflation. So that was just one example. And um, what was really concerning is it seems kind of uh, bearish on the whole Canadian economy. And so, you know, again, kind of going back, we've, we've been hearing, uh, you know, the housing market is booming, uh, still continues to boom despite, you know, numerous, you know, regulations and certain things we put in place. Um, you know, and so... Uh, we ke- we keep hearing that higher interest rates are going to be the catalyst to kind of uh, you know slow that down or or it could be trouble you know when people are you know they bought their house for four or five years ago it's time to renew their mortgage they're going to renew at a higher rate and it could spell trouble but uh, what seems to be um, what what this statement kind of suggested I guess was that you know the the poor economy is more of the issue here than than rising interest rates which aren't going to be going up anytime soon. And so, you know, there's some pretty concerning job reports that come out from, you know, from the uh, federally, but from the private sector, which was like Bombardier and Potash Corporation and, you know, Sears, you know, there's some big job cuts there. And so is this really the worry here now? Like, um, you know, it's, if you lose your job, I guess, you know, you know, it really impacts, of course, what you can, uh, what you can afford. So, and, and that's when the debt comes back to bite you. And I can, I can jump on that one. Cause, uh, uh, yeah, the, I'm, I also host a, a show called the Canadian Mortgage Hangout, and we had a guest, Boris Bozik, who's the CEO of Merrick's Financial, so a pretty big lender in the in the broker channel, a monoline. And he came on, and we were talking about this. We were talking about interest rates, and you know when they're going to go up, and having the conversation. And he said, you know, when they put out those big reports, 60, 70, 80 page reports, the first thing he looks at is the employment numbers. If employment is good, people will pay their mortgages. If employment isn't good, we have something to worry about. So if the fear-mongering has kind of turned more from, you know, is the housing market going to explode, are we in a bubble, and all that, moving towards are Canadians losing their jobs and Canadians are losing their jobs, then we've got a problem. Because if you don't have a stream of income, you can't pay your mortgage, you can't pay your bills, and that's tough. And from my experience, I don't believe that a lot of Canadians have put themselves in a good financial position to actually weather any storm. So the conversation around emergency funds, you know, line of credits, well, that's kind of, it's scary because there's not a lot of cash on hand from what I've seen, and yeah, employment becomes the the biggest factor in whether or not people can pay back their debt. And what's the, um, you know... On, on line of credits now, they've tightened that up too. So what's the loan-to-value ratio or whatever now? Really, uh, CMHC will no longer insure line of credits. So um, uh, before you could do a, a home equity line of credit up to 80% of the property's value. Right now, I think the max you can do is 65% revolving, but then you can have 15%, but that has to have an amortized uh, repayment schedule. So they'll still do the line of credit to 80, but you have to have a fixed repayment schedule on 15% of it. So essentially 65%. And that was a real, like that's taken a lot of the uh, wind out of the sails of the Smith maneuver and a lot of the kind of financial strategies around that. But um, and yeah, for people, people who bought with 5 and 10% down, I mean, it takes a while to get to 65%. Yeah, no, it, that's that's not, yeah. Uh, and from my experience, a lot of people are buying, and they're buying with 5% down dad's money. Dad, Mom and dad lend them the money, gifted down payments, and they qualify for 400000 on two full-time jobs, and 
they're taking a mortgage for pretty much 400000 and what happens if mat leave happens? What happens if one person loses a job? Because it's most people, most first-time homebuyers, which is my primary market, they're right up top. They're, there's no, hey, can we actually afford this? No, it's what can we afford versus, you know, what should we actually consider? That's yeah. a, that's a, there's a real big discrepancy there. Yeah, and I mean, there's doing the math on uh, one or two percent increases in in uh, your mortgage uh, or in your interest rate, and and what that's going to tra uh, translate into on a monthly payment, and maybe it's you know a hundred or two hundred dollars a month. And like you said, I think people who are gainfully employed are going to find a way to pay their mortgage. Um, you know, maybe there there's no disposable income left for anything else, but they will find a way to pay their mortgage. But it's really that uh, you know. The, on the job side, that's that's the scary thing. I mean, you lose your job, and that's you know you, you lose that ability to pay. And so I guess we're talking about saving money, and uh, kind of talked about it before here, kind of hunkering down, or you know when the when things are rolling, and and you have you know people who talk about like optimizing their finances, and you know I don't want to have you know ten thousand dollars sitting in a high interest savings account earning next to nothing. Uh, I want to put my money to work and, you know, even use myself an ex as an example where, you know, we're aggressively paying down our mortgage. Uh, we're putting a lot of money into RSPs and I have a pension plan at work. So on paper, you know, you know, net worth is growing and, and things look good, but there's no, there's no liquidity there. Right. So, you know, if, if worse comes worse and if I lost my job or, um, you know, I would have to look at a line of credit and, and, um, you know, I have to and have to set up, set that up and and you but know, the problem it's not is, ideal is for people, right? The problem is, and you know, the the holy potato uh, jumped in on Twitter and said there are unsecured line of credits too. Even renters can get one for emergencies, and that's the truth. Except from my experience, a lot of people don't have that foresight. A lot of people just assume that their job is secure, that nothing is going to go wrong. The second you lose your job, is the second you no longer have an ability to pay back money. No one will lend you money. You're not getting a line of credit. You're not getting, nobody's extending you credit because you're a clown without a job. And that's the, that's the real problem. There's no savings in the bank and you're, uh, unfortunately, you start missing your, your payments. That goes to the credit bureau. You lose your, it doesn't take long for your credit bureau to go from really good to really bad. Uh, yeah. Two months and you're toast. So, so, but here's the thing that I kind of question. This isn't an economy issue. I mean, whether the, econ the economic forecasts are right or wrong, it's a personal economy issue. So, yes, your job, your, your own job might be more at risk because you work in a particular sector or because you know the health of your own organization or because you know what the effect of a 1% decrease in, your, in your, the things that you supply to SOBEs are. Um, you, your job might feel more insecure, but I think that this is, I mean, the only use that headlines like you know, the Bank of Canada's to regular people to me is um, is that it maybe it should be a little bit of a, a wake up call to stress test your own finances. So to go through the what would happen if um, scenarios, but I don't think that it's linked to the economy. I think people should be doing that. Obviously I think so because that's what I do. But I think people should be doing that as a matter of course. And then not spending a lot of time thinking, oh, the economy, oh, I just, I think that's a waste of people's mental energy. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing you can do about this, you know, the forecasts and whatnot on a, on a you know, on a national 
scale, you have to look at your own situation, right? And so, um, you know, but you can also kind of, if you can kind of spot the writing on the wall and if you are in one of those industries that may be susceptible to layoffs mm -hmm. or, what, or whatnot, um, you know, well, what, what can you do about it? I mean, maybe it's not this specific report that you're taking action on, but it's just like, you know, like I said, finding that, you know, you, you see that writing on the wall with your employer and things aren't going so well, you know, I may, maybe on the chopping block, maybe not. What can I do now to ensure that either I'm not or that I'm going to be okay and can still pay my mortgage uh, if, you know, if the worst does happen? And that's the question I just asked on the Twitter. I said, how long could you survive financially if you lost your job today? And that's maybe the question that we need to be addressing. And uh, you guys, maybe you want to give some tips on uh, what, what do you think? Uh, how, what, what is a good emergency fund? What is a good uh, a plan of action? Sadie, it depends, right? It depends. <laughs> I guess, well, what I, my first step would be to not worry as much about the emergency fund. If, right, if, if, we're, if it's a forward planning exercise, it would be, you know, what are the three things you do then right away to try and find another source of income? And, and obviously, it's so easy to say that. It's so easy to say, well, I'll just go find another job, obviously. But that would be the ideal scenario. I mean, if, if you want to start planning for the worst to happen, the ideal scenario is the next thing you do is go out and find other kinds of income. And then, and then you worry about your emergency fund after you've planned for your updated resume or your new skills that you know are marketable. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, we talked about saving money and, and whether that's uh, uh, on food or cable or whatever. I mean, there, there's only, I guess there's only so far you can take that uh, before you start looking at, um, you know, playing some offense rather than playing defense all the time. And so, you know, one thing that, that uh, we did when my w wife went on maternity leave and we kind of decided that she wasn't going to go back to work, she's going to stay home full time. And that's around the same time when I started the blog and just started looking at other ways that I could, uh, you know, um, try to, you know, try to earn extra income on the side. And, uh, you know, so whether that was blogging or like freelance writing or whatever, I mean, I know a ton of people that are like somebody shovels, or shovel sidewalks or bought a big snowblower for doing sidewalks in the winter, but also does, you know, yard maintenance and whatnot in the summer. And it's just a side business, you know, and he's got a couple people on staff and does that. And someone does commercial, uh, you know, commercial janitorial and cleaning on the side, like all this stuff is happening on the side. And there's always like the old fallback of renting out a room in your house. And I'm just thinking about those scenarios. There's a lot of things that people don't think that they're not willing to do. Like, you know, I'm raising two kids here and I don't want to rent out a room in our basement. That's, that's pretty much out of the question for us at this stage, you know, but, but, you know, 10 years ago it wasn't. And, uh, but there's other things that we, you know, we would be interested in doing. So, you know, just having a look at, you know, some of those options and, and uh, seeing what's possible. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just like everything else, like retirement planning, like everything else, it's, you can you can prepare so much for a catastrophe, but you can't completely prepare, I don't think, without risking some of the other benefits that those that you could you could put your efforts to preparing for every single negative eventuality in your life, maybe towards trying to avoid those in the first place, or no, that's saying the same thing, but maybe towards putting other systems in place that would make those catastrophes less of a catastrophe. 
Just, I, I don't think I said that very well, but you can't insure against every single bad thing that's going to happen. Right. So I don't know if maybe part of it should be getting your, bringing your enough bar down far enough that you can live through something that's kind of not that enjoyable. Well, if we if we hit the Twitter, uh, the potato, he says in a response, uh, roughly three years. Ha ha, what now? Matt leave. Note, this is not in cash. It's invested. So according to the potato, uh, as an emergency fund, you should have three years annual salary, I guess, maybe? Yeah. That seems a little aggressive, but hey, well done. Uh, Scott Dawson, uh, who has a three-letter Twitter handle, at SDD, uh, from BC, says, I'm self-employed. It's like that happens every day. Hashtag because money, hashtag hustle. And uh, Timothy Stack says, couple of months, but I'd miss the scotch. But that doesn't count to any severance packages. So uh, if he loses his job, hopefully he's got a severance package and can continue to drink the scotch. So thanks for the comments, guys. Yeah, I mean, and and it's gonna it's gonna vary for for everyone, and and self-employed is a great example too. I mean, you kind of live in that, uh, you know, a lot of that uh, your income is unknown from month to month, and so, you know, planning for if you're self-employed is is even more essential than, uh, you know, someone with a steady government job, or uh, you know, or two teachers. You know, they they don't have a lot, may not have as much to worry about as uh, as the self-employed. Mm. Yeah, welcome to my nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, we look at uh, you know, so I guess go, going back to this whole you know the 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 macro trend or whatever the economy and so Sandy, you kind of touched on it. Is is this just noise? Is it just like it's just another article that's you know what I found interesting was that. Two weeks ago, it was uh, you know everyone's all worried about the U.S. stopping their bond or buying bonds, and so the it's going to bring the bond prices up and put all this pressure on on the economy and on Canada, and then and then on, on, and looking at mortgage rates. So you, they expect like the five-year mortgage rates to go up because of all this that's going to happen, and. Um, but then, like this week, RBC cuts their mortgage rate, and so the rest of the banks cut their mortgage rates. And so, you know, you just get this push and pull, and what are we supposed to believe, or do we just ignore it? Uh, I think that the very best, if you only have, if you can only choose one thing, if you can't choose to kind of research every single thing, piece of information that comes down the pipe, I think you should ignore it. Because think about this. I mean, Jackson, I'm sure you ran into this. So how long have rates been this low? How long have we had kind of historical low interest rates? And how long have we been telling people, well, I don't know how much longer this is going to last. So, I mean, I don't think you'll kick yourself if you go into a, you know, a five-year fixed or a 10-year fixed, let's say, at 3.49% whenever it was that low instead of a variable, except for all the people that had prime less 0.8% on their, on their variable mortgage for the last five years have been very happy. So, yeah, all, absolutely. So has, so how, how much can you really, I guess, sorry, let me boil it down to, I don't think that the, the Bank of Canada or the Fed in the States, I'm pretty sure that they're not, they're not just throwing out, they're not making their decision at the time that the announcements come out. And part of the announcement is an acknowledgement that by virtue of saying this, making this statement, we are going to have some kind of effect on the economy 
even though it's not necessarily the effect that we say that we're talking about. So I mean, so I, maybe I'm kind of hinting at forward guidance or something like that. But I think part of part of what the Fed, part of what the Bank of Canada is doing is trying to guide um, sentiment without actually telling people what what they're going to do. Does that make sense? I just find their reports are so. Why do they have to be so vague and so like? Oh, I'm trying to read into what he's saying here, and oh, they're hawkish here and they're dovish here. Oh, okay, what bird are they going to be talking about next next month? The albatross. <laughs> <laughs> well, as you know, I as as crazy as this sound, uh, we actually do pay attention to the Bank of Canada with the rate announcements. Of course, as mortgage brokers, uh, understanding where the you know where bank rates are going is is super important. And it's Sandy, you're right. It's for for five years, it was just kind of like. Every announcement that came out, it it's just kind of okay. Well, what? Because there was that period where it just kept going down and down and down, and then when it hit the bottom, it was like, it's not going to stay here. It's not going to stay here. Everybody it's grab not it. Gonna, grab and it. then a year later, it's like it's not going to stay here. And then two years, it's like, well, it's been here for two years. It certainly can't stay any longer. And then it's like three years, and it's at a, it was about three years that it was for me. It's like, I have no idea. Yeah. Just none. But if you pay attention to the language, and Sandy, I think you're very right there. If you pay attention to the language, this is the first time that the that the the Bank of Canada really actually last. Not this Bank of Canada announcement. The one previous was the first time that they just took off the. Hey, it's going to go up in the future. They just removed that clause because it's always been you know uh, rates expected to rise in this, and then. Three months later, it's three months later. Three, you know, it's it's just been this walking wall of, don't worry, it's coming. So prepare, prepare, and the house prices keep going, and the mortgages keep getting tougher to qualify for. But this is the second time, and it's just like, does anybody really have a clue what's going on? I don't know, but we are at historical low rates. We were at historical low rates five years ago, and you're right. I. I advise people, I said the fixed ways is the way to go. I mean, you're locking in a five-year fixed at 3.29, except that you got prime at three, and we could have gotten you a variable at prime minus 0.5, so 2.5. Now, is the risk worth it there? I generally like the spread to be about 1% for me to feel comfortable advising it, but for me, it's the, the, the reward with a variable is that it goes up and down. There's no going down from... 2.5. So that's why I like the fix because you're fixing it at 3.29. Oh, poor you. Like that's a fantastic rate, it, especially when people phone me and the competition in the mortgage industry is, you know, I get the call, hey, do you think you could do 319? Well, <laughs> you, you understand that your bank offered you 489 and I'm getting you 329 and now you're trying to work me down deal. to 319. It's, it's, it's frustrating, but yeah, the I don't think anybody knows what's going on. So one thing that wasn't expected, and, and I think, um, you know, as you talked about, you know, the three, four years it's been in this low interest rates and, and, we, and the American economy was struggling and whatnot. And so one of the consequences of raising interest rates would be that uh, our dollar would continue to climb. And because it was, you know, it was above par for a while or hovering around par. And, and um, you know, that's not that's not good for kind of an export economy like we have, and, and it's not good on the manufacturers. And so, uh, one thing that's probably a pleasant surprise for uh, for Can or for a lot of Canadians is that the dollar has come 
has come down now. So it's it's pretty much plummeting, I guess you could say. It's in a free fall. It's around 90 cents, I think, today now. And so it's gone down, you know, 10% in, in a relatively short time. So what, what are the consequences of... Uh, or the benefits, I guess, to uh, this plummeting dollar, and can, how do Canadians take advantage of it, or or not? I don't. I honestly couldn't tell you. I mean, how unless unless you're the kind of person that is close enough to the border, or is close enough to um, prices or services or, or products priced in America that you would use them often enough, how can you play rate arbitrage or something that you know, it's going to take you four hours to drive down? To the border to get to. I don't know. That's. I mean, what? What? How do we know what? How it's going to affect things? <laughs> I guess maybe going back to the uh, the whole jobs issue is that maybe it'll be a, it'll put decent uh, or it'll it, it changes the outlook I guess on the manufacturing sector. So if you work in yeah. that industry, maybe it's better for you. I guess. Maybe. I worked in hospitality, and so this was a, uh, a, a the climbing dollar was not good for Canada, um, as people less people would visit because of our you know uh, they they used to be able to come here for sixty cents on their dollar, seventy cents mm -hmm. on their dollar, and and now it wasn't such a good deal. So uh, you know if you work in that sector, it might be a benefit. Well, the best thing about it is that all of my American friends can roll out the funny "ha ha" Canadian. That's what's that worth now? A million dollars Canadian yeah. <laughs> jokes again? I'm so excited about those. Yippee! <laughs> uh, Noel says he's he's clever, and uh, Noel's been uh, he's he's on his game tonight. He says I've seen a lot of personal finance bloggers touting 10k emergency fund, and then he says so we're pretty confident there will be a significant housing correction in major Canadian cities in the next 20 years. Well, then. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, that's about as certain as it gets. There yeah. will be in 20 years. I, I don't think they have a clue what's going on anytime, but there you go. Did you find that on, uh, is that on Garth's blog? <laughs> <laughs> it's coming. No, his is the Mayan calendar. His is yeah, a, it's, right. it's next May. It's next May. No, no, guys, forget it. It's the May after that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so I guess the bottom line is what we're looking at is uh, maybe we shouldn't be so scared about these reports that come out. Uh, we should look at our own personal situation and what's going around in our, well, our local economies, but our personal economies as well. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe some final thoughts here on if you are concerned about your personal economies, what can you do about that? You can plan. <laughs> Yeah. That's always the answer. But seriously, though, if you know, I mean, you can you can figure out how much money you're bringing in for real, not just kind of a ballpark, and figure out how much money is going out. I, I honestly, it's so boring. It's such a, it's a piece that nobody gets excited about and nobody talks about that much. But if you don't have a handle on how you're spending your money every day, then how do you know how you can deal with some, some catastrophe in your own personal economy? And Jackson's doing it right now because he's on the 52-week money-saving challenge. And I'm going to be honest, I'm very, very encouraged by the 
the people that have been talking with me about 2014 and, um, you know, I get a lot of the, you've inspired me to do this. And, you know, I think it's just people. Um, one of the reasons that Steph and I wanted to do this is because we've been feeling like we need to do something for a long time, but we just weren't sure how to do it or what to do. So it's not like, you know, there's anything special about us doing it, but by doing it and doing it publicly, our goal was to connect with people on a level where, hey, we're going to go on a journey. If we can share it with you and you can benefit from it, great. And hopefully we can surround ourselves with people that have been there and they can help us because, you know, we do live in that immediate gratification culture where it's like, ooh, I like that. It's shiny. Buy it, you know, and, and that doesn't really work well with our with our idea of financial management. But for us, I, I'm really encouraged by the amount of people that have, have said that, you know, uh, I had one girl on Facebook hit me tonight with, you know, 2014 is, the word for 2014 is budgeting. And they're going to take the same challenge we're doing, and they're doing it times four. Um, I did the uh, appearance on CTV News, uh, the morning live crew hit me, and First Foundation got a call, uh, one of our brokers got a call, and the, the person just wanted to talk with me because I inspired him him to do it and he's got five guys in his workplace that want to do the 52 week money challenge they just want to figure out uh, how to start it so I'm gonna give the guy a call tomorrow and and talk with him and maybe figure out okay how how do we get more people involved there seems to be a lot of people that are wanting to do this they just have no idea how to do it so once I get my banking in order I'm not even kidding bank accounts I hate them but well, once we get that in order then we're good it's it's it is encouraging because you know and and that a lot of people are getting into it. Maybe like the idea is pretty simple, but it sounds pretty creative. And and maybe um, uh, maybe the simplicity of it takes that taboo out of talking about money with your mm -hmm. friends and saving money. And and I love it. I, I love that you're you know you're coming up with fun challenges and and it, it inspires people to talk about how they overcame their challenges or or some easy wins that they can do to save money in their lives and you know even you know my wife on a Facebook group or a Pinterest group or something found like people were pinning that image all, all over the place and getting excited about this challenge and so yeah. maybe it is 2014 it's the year of saving money and budgeting and we're getting back on track so it is really encouraging yeah I think that the uh to go back to the point about uh, marketing and is is all this uh, just noise? Yes, it happens in the housing market. It happens in the economy. It, it the, here's the truth: everything is okay doesn't sell newspapers. Nobody reads everything is okay. But when a house is burning down, everyone wants to know what started it. So you, you get the readers. You have to have the headlines like that, and it's just the way it is. So do I believe every word of it? No, but if it encourages us to get our personal economies in a place where we say, hey, let's evaluate and take stock. Let's see how could I, if a storm was coming, how could I weather it? I think that's, uh, you know, it's good. I just hope that a lot of people do that. And, uh, you know, maybe that can become the trend for 2014 and on. Yeah, I like it. I, and I think that, uh, you know, taking stock of that, of, you know, or just being conscious, like Sandy said, of your, uh, you know, how much you spend every month and, and you think, oh, maybe things are getting out of hand. Well, okay, well, how about I, I pay attention for the next month or two and, and actually track my spending. And, uh, and then that gives you, I, that will give you the ideas of, you know, some easy savings that you can do. And, and because we know that personal finance, it's all about, you know, spending less than you earn. It's just that simple. And, and uh, so once you take stock of that, 
uh, and then it's just finding out ways to uh, what you're going to do with that excess cash flow. What are yep. you going to do with that excess cash flow, Jackson? Go to Disneyland. It's going on a trip. <laughs> we're going to Disneyland. I don't, I'm not, we're not saying that for sure, but I'm, I'm still hedging for a Norwegian cruise. We can leave the kids with the grandparents, and that can be their uh, little prize, and we get to go on a Norwegian cruise. I don't think that's going to fly, so I'm answering Disneyland just because. But we did get a couple more uh, uh, action on Twitter. Uh, Paul Prinz, who goes by Golden Boy Paul, offered Timothy Stacks a job if he uh, loses his job, as long as he brings the scotch. And uh, Tom Everett says, okay, good, he's only got 20 years to flip houses, renovate, pay down mortgages, and enjoy life, travel, and read. Um, Todd Tran says he's got about six months he could live on if he lost his job. Uh, Frozen Cenobite said probably a couple of years. Uh, it's pretty nice wow. being mo mostly debt-free, so there you go. That's the real... That's the you know, right there. That, that right there, being at the end of the tunnel, to know that you can live for two years without any income, that's uh, as good as cash in the bank. Well, actually, is cash in the bank. Uh, Noel jumps in and says, I hope that's uh, not how I read my tweet, but many probably did. Good. I don't know what that means. Uh, then Jamie says, that's insane. The world starts to come in the end. I'm looking for a spare house. Oh, yeah. Uh, Noel did say that he's got a spare house to store all his canned goods that he buys at Sobeys on Discord. <laughs> It's full of beans, Noel. So, there you go. And Todd Tran asked me why I asked the question, and I said, well, because we're on a podcast because money, and he says, oh, I see, I didn't know that was a thing. Because out of it. So, <laughs> thanks, Todd. So, Good segue, getting... because yeah. I think we're out of time. Yeah. Because out, out of time. time. Yeah. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. And on that note, we say we'll see you next week, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Because Money is a labor of love and involved no ads or other sponsorship, be sure to click the like or subscribe button where you downloaded this from, as we'll help other listeners find the podcast and raise our profile, which in turn makes it easier to book guests. Please visit becausemoney.ca for show notes and related links.